650-327-5493. That's 650-327-5493. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned for continued programming with Nina Serrano and Jack Foley. And back we are again. The little red lights are on in the booth here, and we are here too. With open book, cover to cover. And I was talking to Nina about a favorite quartet of mine, wonderful gospel singers. It's called the Golden Gate Quartet. I discovered she heard them when she was a very small person back in the 40s. Yeah, that was a, a favorite. Um, my father would we play the radio all the time at our house. We were a radio people. Maybe everybody was in the forties. I think everybody was. Yes. yes, and they were so popular. The Golden Gate Quartet. I think most people don't know about them and don't know what they did. They they were influenced by the Mills Brothers and actually recorded a couple of songs with the Mills Brothers. But people know the Mills Brothers, I think, a lot better than they know the Golden Gate Quartet. Partly, I think, because they were gospel singers, originally actually jubilee gospel singers of a, it's a certain kind of gospel. But they went beyond that, got into jazz and all those sorts of things. And we're going to go to them now and introduce them to our audience. That would be CD2. Well, Josh, you fit the bat around Jericho, around Jericho, around Jericho. Well, Josh, you fit the bat around Jericho, and the balls come tumbling down. God knows, and Josh, you fit the bat around Jericho, around Jericho, around Jericho. Well, Josh, you fit the bat around Jericho, and the balls come tumbling down. Good morning, Sister Mary. Good morning, Brother John. Well, I want to stop and talk with you and tell you how I come along. I know you heard about Joshua, he was the son of none. He'd never stop his work and chillin' until his work was done. The God knows when Josh fit the battle around Jericho, around Jericho, around Jericho. When Josh fit the battle around Jericho, and the balls come tumbling down. You may talk about your men of Gideon, you may brag about your men of Saul. There's none like good old Joshua and the battle of Jericho. Up to the walls of Jericho, we march with spear in hand. Go blow them around. Horns, Josh Rickrack is to battle him in my hand. Good old friend, Josh, fit the battle round Jericho. Jericho, around Jericho. Josh, fit the battle round Jericho. And the balls come tumbling down. Yes, you may talk about your king of Gideon. You may brag about your men of Saul. There's none like Joshua at the battle of Jericho. They tell me with God that Joshua's spear was well nigh 12 feet long. And upon his hip was the double edged sword and his mouth was a gospel horn. Yet bold and brave he stood salvation in his arms. Go blow them a ram on the Josh Rickrack goes the devil can't do you no harm. Cut those things. Josh fit the battle around Jericho. Around Jericho. Around Jericho. Josh fit the battle around Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. Then up to the walls of Jericho he marched with spear in hand. Go blow 
them ram horns, Josh Rickrack goes to battle them in my hand. Then the ram lamb sheep horn began to blow, the trumpets began to sound. Old Joshua shouted, glory, and the walls come tumbling down. Cut those friends, Josh, fifty friends, Jericho, around Jericho, around Jericho. Josh, fifty friends, around Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down, 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 tumbling down. While a motherless child has a mighty hard time when mama's gone. Do low, do low, do low, she's gone. Do low, do low, motherless child has it hard. When mama's gone, Lord, she's gone. There it runs, run, 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 Lord, nowhere to go. A motherless child sure has it hard. When mama's gone, Lord, she's gone. Children, a motherless child really has it hard. When mama's gone, Lord, mother's gone. A motherless child really has it hard. When mama's gone, Lord, gone. Oh, baby, run, 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 a motherless child sure has it hard when mama goes. Lord, what a pity! Didn't they promise those helpless children when mama was dying? Lord, so was dying. They said we will treat your children kind. In her grave, they drove those helpless children away from the door. Lord have mercy, a mother's child sure has it hard when mama's go. Lord and mama's go, a mother's child sure has it hard when mama's gone. Lord, nowhere to go. A motherless child sure has it hard. When mama's gone. Well, oh. I do believe he's dead. Look at here. 
went round side. I peeped through the crack and I saw an old dilapidated man flat on his back. Yeah. Now whether Mose was dead or asleep, I do not know. But after looking through that crack, I ain't gonna do that no more. Cause I found out, old man, what it's all about. Old man, well, I found out, old man, that old man Mose is dead now. We found out, Mose gave the bug in. We found out, Mose gave the bug in. We found out, Mose gave the bug in. We found out he's dead. I'm telling you, we believe. Mose kicked that bug in. We believe. Mose kicked that bug in. We believe. Mose kicked that bug in. We believe he's dead. I'm telling you, we believe. Oh, Mose kicked the bug in. We believe. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck it. We believe. Oh, Mose kicked the bug in. We believe he's dead. Now, You're gonna need that pure religion. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, then you're gonna need that pure religion. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, then you're gonna need that pure religion. Pure religion, take you home to heaven. And then you're gonna need that pure religion. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, my poor old mother down the bed of crying. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, my poor old mother down the bed of crying. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, my poor old mother down the bed of crying. The Lord God Almighty. My child is dying. Don't you gonna need that pure religion? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, but then you gonna need that pure religion? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, but then you gonna need that pure religion? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Ah, oh, then you gonna need that pure religion? Pure religion, take you home to heaven. Don't you gonna need that pure religion? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, the doctor's standing, looking sad. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, the doctor's standing, looking. Say, say, Asking Jesus, we'd go. Is it all but mine? 
now I went on the mountain, mountain, I for to have a little prayer. Oh, when I got there, Lord, my Lord, old Satan was there. In every time, Lord, I feel the spirit, 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 keep moving into my heart, then I pray. In every time, Lord, I feel the spirit, 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 keep moving into my heart, Well, I promise my Lord, my Lord that I deny him not, but I wouldn't run away, Lord, my Lord. And when the battle got a heart, and I promise my Lord, my Lord that I deny him not, but I wouldn't run away, Lord, my Lord. And when the battle got a heart, every time, Lord, I feel a spirit. Golden Gate Quartet. I think that was the original people, too, um, which would have been um, William Landford, Willie Johnson, Henry Owens, and Orlandis Wilson. Wonderful, wonderful singers. The Golden Gate Quartet still exists. It began in 1931, and long time left afterwards, it still exists, 76 years later. Um, But it's uh, different people, of course, and it's gone on for many a year. I think they're mostly in Europe these days. Now, we have something here that we wanted to present to you, and perhaps we'll present more of it another time. But Nina wrote a play, and that play was about the Rosenbergs. Tell us a little. Yes. Uh, In 1976, I wrote a play with my now husband, Paul Richards, who then was a stranger, and uh, my writing partner, Judith Binder, and about the story of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. And the Rosenbergs had been electrocuted in 1953, June of 1953, for being uh, atomic bomb spies. And they claimed that the government claimed they had sold the they had told the secrets of the atom bomb to the soviets but of course today we know that there never were any secrets to the atom bomb and of course julius and ethel rosenberg were in no way equipped to even understand that level of physics uh But nonetheless, they were executed as part of the Cold War because the Cold War hysteria in 1953 was something like the um, terrorist scare that we live through now with the ban on Muslim travel and the uh, 
the excitement and desire to create hatred towards Muslims worldwide and in our own country. Well, and that's how it was. There was a fear of Jews as being radicals, uh, too, in the same way that Muslims, the fear of Muslims as being people who will blow up something. People had that feeling after the war and despite Nazism and all of that. After the war, people had that feeling to some degree about Jewish people because, uh, you know, they're the ones who would join the Communist Party, that sort of thing. And so anti-communism was was rampant. And so uh, evidence didn't really matter much. They right. actually, <laughs> the piece of evidence that was used against them was an old tin can that Julius had used in the street for raising money for the refugees of the Spanish Civil War. And that tin can was their only evidence, physical evidence, and that send them to their death. So we wrote this play in 1976, and it was because the Rosenberg son, Robert and Michael, had now become full-grown adult men, and they decided that it was time to exonerate their parents, and they started the uh, Rosenberg Children's Fund to raise money for the children of politically persecuted people in the United States. And so we wrote this play as part of that re-interest in the Rosenberg case. So the scene from the play that we're going to read you, which is from the Rosenberg's letters, begins after they get to see their children after a one-year absence. And Ethel writes, My heart aches for the children. It's for them I am most concerned, and it is of their reaction I am anxiously awaiting some word. My emotions are in storm, as your own must be. Courage, darling. There's much to be done. After lunch, wrote Julius, I went into the council room, and the kids were hiding behind the door. When I hugged them, they seemed so small and far away. I was a bit dazed. I choked up and my eyes teared and Michael kept repeating, Daddy, your voice has changed. After a couple of minutes, I was back on an even keel. A round of kissing and hugging and then Robbie sat on my lap. Thin face, ringed eyes, looked up at me and he said, Daddy, why you no come home? I carefully explained. He replied, Why did you not visit us Sundays at the shelter? Again, I explained. Darling, the children need us, and I hope it is not much longer that we will suffer such anguish being separated from them. After I left them, I felt I tore out a piece of my heart. Ethel wrote, My dearest love, as I smiled and kissed the children, I was experiencing such a bewildering assortment of emotions that I don't think I was enough in control of myself to have accomplished anything very far-reaching. Actually, I doubt anyone else could have either. After all, a first visit after a year's separation can hardly be expected to do much more than break the ice. My dearest sweetheart, I held Robbie close. I kissed him and carried him around so I could talk to Michael. Much of the hour was spent in discussion of the death sentence, which he said he read about in the paper. I told him we were not concerned about it, that we were innocent and we had many avenues of appeal and that it was not his job to be concerned about it, but to grow up and be well. 
he asked me how you die. And I told him. And he asked if there is an electric chair here. And I said yes. He kept on asking about the appeals and what if finally we might lose. Then death faced us. I kept on assuring him, but I could see he was terribly upset over it. My dearest son, Michael, for me your visit was wonderful. It made me happy to hold you in my arms and kiss you. I want to tell you that I am confident in the end we will be set free because Mommy and I are innocent and we will fight in every possible way and through the courts to win our freedom as soon as possible. Dearest children, the snow is whirling outside my window as I sit at my writing table and wonder what my darlings might be doing at this moment. The other day when I was outside in the yard, the snow had fallen the night before and looked so much like icing on a birthday cake that I couldn't resist printing letters in it with my right foot. By the time I was through, all our initials were outlined clear, M-R, R-R, E-R, and J-R. Do you remember how we used to tease Daddy by calling him J-R, the Wonder Dog? Oh, joy of joy. I caught a couple of bars of your rendition of Ave Maria and the Alleluia. Imagine if only your door were open. What a lovely concert we would have. I reminisced a bit of the many times you would sing my favorite arias and folk songs. Honey, as I thought of it, I just adored you. Too bad you weren't closer. I'm sure I would have conveyed my deepest feelings for you in a way that is very proper indeed for two lovebirds. I send you my tender kisses as messages of my heart. May 31st, 1953, Ethel Darling. What does one write to his beloved when faced with the very grim reality that in 18 days, on their 14th wedding anniversary, it is ordered they'll be put to death? Dear Lawyer Manny, I was just sitting down to lunch. Mr. Bennett entered the women's wing of the death house and announced himself. Contrary to all established practice, he was alone with me. Mr. Bennett came right to the point. He could make available to me any official to whom I might care to divulge espionage information I had hitherto withheld. If I cooperated in this fashion, the government stood ready to invalidate the death penalty. I made it short and sweet. I was innocent, my husband was innocent, and neither of us knew anything about espionage. In order to cooperate as you desire, I should have to deliberately concoct a pack of lies and bear false witness against unoffending individuals. Is that what the authorities want me to do? To lie? We will not be intimidated by the growing use of undemocratic threat of electrocution. Nor will we be encouraged the undemocratic police state methods of accepting a shabby, contemptible little deal in lieu of the justice that is due us as citizens. That's for Hitler Germany, not for the land of liberty. Let me say to you, in all sobriety, you will come to me at 10 minutes of 11 p.m. on Thursday, June 18th, and the fact of my innocence will not have changed in the slightest. Dear lawyer Manny, after reading the bold lie of the Justice Department that Mr. Bennett's visit was routine and that they initiated no deal was offered, 
I feel it my duty to present the facts as they took place last Tuesday. Mr. Bennett opened the conversation and said, Mr. Brownell, the Attorney General sent me to see you, and he wants you to know that if you want to cooperate with the government, you can do so through me. If you, Julius, can convince the official that you have fully cooperated with the government, they have a basis to recommend clemency. I said that in the first place we were innocent. That is the whole truth, and therefore we know nothing. You mean to tell me, Mr. Bennett, I said, that a great government like ours is coming to two insignificant people like us and saying, cooperate or die? Dear Lawyer Manny, this is to let you know my mother was here on Monday. I pointed out to her that whatever unfortunate fear of reprisal my brother Davy may be hiring, it was harboring, it was my life that was in peril, not him. And further, if I, while awaiting electrocution, was not afraid to continue to assert my innocence and give lie to his story, why couldn't he, in a far more advantageous position, be man enough to own up at long last to this lie and help save my life instead of letting it be forfeited to save his face? Said she, so what? Would it have been so terrible if you had backed up his story? I guess my mouth kind of fell open. What, I replied, and take the blame for a crime I never committed and allow my name and my husband's and children's to be blackened to protect him? What, and go along with a story that I knew to be untrue, where it involved my husband and me? Believe it or not, she answered, yes, you got me straight. I mean, even if it was a lie, all right, so it was a lie. You should have said it was true anyway. You think that way you would have been sent here? No. If you agreed to what Davy said was so, even if it wasn't, you wouldn't have gotten this. I protested, shocked as I could be. But, Ma, would you have me willingly commit perjury? She shrugged her shoulders indifferently and maintained doggedly, you wouldn't be here. The following letter, dear Manny, lawyer, must be delivered to my children. They did not cooperate and clemency was denied. Dearest sweethearts, my most precious children... Only this morning it looked like we might be together again after all. Now this cannot be. I want so much for you to know all that I have come to know. Unfortunately, I may only write a few simple words. The rest, your own lives must teach you, even as mine taught me. At first, of course, you will grieve bitterly for us, but you will not grieve alone. That is our consolation, and it must eventually be yours. Eventually, too, you must come to believe that life is worth living. Be comforted, and that even now, with the end of ours slowly approaching, that we know this with a conviction that defeats the executioner. Your lives must teach you, too, that good cannot really flourish in the midst of evil. That freedom and all the things that go to make up a truly satisfying and worthwhile life must sometimes be purchased very dearly. Be comforted then 
that we were serene and understood with the deepest kind of understanding, that civilization had not as yet progressed to the point where life did not have to be lost for the sake of life, and that we were comforted in the sure knowledge that others would carry on after us. We wish we might have had the tremendous joy and gratification of living our lives with you. Always remember that we were innocent and could not wrong our conscience. We press you close and kiss you with all our strength. Daddy and Mommy. Daddy and Mommy. A reporter told the world on U.S. National Radio. They died differently, giving off different sounds, different grotesque manners. Uh, He died quickly. There didn't seem to be too much life left in him when he entered behind the rabbi. He seemed to be walking in a cadence of steps, of just keeping in time with the muttering of the 23rd Psalm. Never said a word. Never looked like he wanted to say a word. She died a lot harder. When it appeared that she had received enough electricity to kill an ordinary person and had received the exact amount that had killed her husband, the doctors went over to her and looked at each other, rather dumbfounded, and seemed surprised that she was not dead. And she was given more electricity, which started again the kind of a ghastly plume of smoke that rose from her head after two more little jokes Ethel Rosenberg was dead Putin has horns the Russians are coming or so insists the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC, and others chanting the old red scare. A human rights lawyer who has written the plot to scapegoat Russia 